Good morning. Time to begin our service. Let's stand together. Have you come to lift the Lord up today? Amen. Let's bless the Lord. Lord, we lift you up in this place. We magnify you. Lord, we bless you and we praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Let's sing to him. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes, in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name. Oh 
Can somebody say Jesus in the house today? Jesus, what a powerful name. What a powerful name that it is. Oh, man. In preparing today, um, the Holy Spirit just kind of started, that's perfect, started leading me towards a different type sermon today um, than I would normally do. Uh, I'm more of a, you know, I've been accused of being an evangelist and, and you know, a lot of times, in, in, and I am evangelical in my approach in ministry. But for some reason today, I feel like the Lord wants me to deal with this topic, mending a broken brother. In the church, there are more people right now that are hurting because of us than we realize. And so today, I want to challenge us, even from the onset, that you in your mind right now, Allow the Holy Spirit to put someone that you know that has wandered away from the fold, all right? Somebody that if you were to go to them today and ask them why they don't come to church, the reason they don't come is because they're broken, all right? Allow the Holy Spirit to put that person right now on your mind, let it sink down in your heart. Because today I am going to show you that you can bring that person back to a right relationship with Jesus Christ. You can help that person that is broken and you can help mend a broken brother or broken sister in the Lord. Because I'm telling you, God wants them back in His fold. I love the story of the 99 or 100 sheep and the 99 are in the fold and Jesus leaves the 99 just so He can go find that one. Sometimes I think that we get so focused on the 99 that we forget that there's some wandering sheep out there that God's trying to get us to go after as His church and as His people. Sometimes we've got to get out of our comfort zone and get out of just our fold and we need to go out and find somebody that's broken out there and wandering all alone in the darkness. That is what God has called us to do. And I want to bring this to our attention today. These people, they have been sabotaged by the devil. They have been ambushed by the devil. It is the trick of the devil. But I'm going to show us today that there is restoration that can be made for these individuals. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. I want to read verse 1 through 2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass or sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of what? Of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, hallelujah to God, and so fulfill the law of Jesus Christ. The ministry of restoration. When I look at this word today, and I love that song, Brian, because I love when you were singing, just speak the name of Jesus, break every stronghold, break every addiction. And I was sitting there thinking, man, how powerful the name of Jesus. He can bring people back to restoration with Him with a simple mention of His name. When we look at the word restore, it carries the idea of mending something such as a broken bone or a broken arm. It, it relates to maybe mending a net that has been broken. 
have you ever broke a bone in your body? Anybody here today? Broken bones, broken bones. All right. I've been fortunate. Branson, when he was a kid, he actually, I had somebody watching him. I was in the house and they were out there swinging him and he fell off and broke his arm and had to wear a cast and all that. Now, I've been fortunate, but just for the sermon today, let's pretend from my story that I broke my arm. Can we do that today? Uh, when I was a boy, I used to, I don't know why, but I watched um, Superman a little bit. And uh, it's funny because Mama didn't let me watch TV at the house. You know, we couldn't do that. And so when I went to Grandma's, she was worldly. She was a Baptist. And she could have a TV. And so I would go there and I would watch. And I could watch Superman and Sp- whatever shows are at. I'm able to watch them at Grandma's house. And one day I decided I wanted a cape. And I got a cape. And I'd, I'd put my cape on. And I'd run around the house. Six, seven years old. I'm still running around the house just flying around like Superman. And so one day I decide that I'm going to get in a tree and I'm going to jump out of the tree. And this is true. And so I get up in the tree, me and my cousin, and I go to jumping and I flap and I think in my mind, I can fly. I believe I can fly. Well, needless to say, you know what happened. I fell flat on my face. Now, many times I got injured, I got hurt, but thank God I never broke my arm. But let's just say today, theoretically, that one of these times when I'm being crazy, it's my fault, nobody else's fault, it's me. My mama didn't tell me to get in the tree and jump out. I did it all by myself, my own doing. But if I fell out of that tree, and let's just say that I, I broke my arm. Now, now, when I walk in the house with my broken arm, do you think mother and father are going to look at me and say he has a broken arm? Just kill him. He's useless. Let's get rid of him. He's broken. It has been said that the church is the only place, the only army that kills its wounded soldiers. When I was being raised in the church and we, uh, any independent holiness in this house, any, anybody ever been associated? I, I was, I was associated with independent holiness church. I don't know if anybody else was. You church of God, people thought y'all were straight. Y'all ain't got nothing on us. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, you don't. You don't have anything on us. And I remember coming up as a boy, I remember the mentality that was driven down our throat. It was as if we were living in the law rather than the grace of God. I always thought that if I did something wrong, I would immediately die and go to hell. If I made a mistake and if, if I'd said something I shouldn't have said, I'm falling on my knees. I'm asking God, oh God, please don't let me go to hell and, and forgive me. And I'm just a kid. I mean, there has to be some sense of grace, right? There has to be where God looks down and says he's still young. He's learning and he's going to make mistakes. He's going to say things that he shouldn't say. He's young and let's just say it, young and dumb. And so he's going to make mistakes. But, but I remember coming up as a kid, even as a teenager, that I felt like that if I did any kind of sin, that I was broken. I was a lost cause. It's kind of like somebody with a broken arm and saying, just get rid of him. He's useless. And because of that mentality, a lot of the people that I was raised with in the church, I, can, I could start naming them today, and I would run out of fingers very quickly because I remember them vividly. As one by one, I watched them as they would make a mistake, and instead of just being restored, come on somebody, instead of loving them back to Jesus, we went ahead and killed them. We went ahead and marked them off. We went ahead and took them out of our clique. 
And we let them walk through the doors of our church and they were broken and they were hurt. And today there's many of those people that I could take you to and many of them never ever came back to the church to this day. They are still wandering around waiting for somebody to try to bring them to restoration with the Lord Jesus Christ. But all they are today is a hard-hearted, broken individual. And I'm learning today it was our fault. We were the reason they were like that. It wasn't the world. It wasn't even the devil. It was the devil working through us. But we created a lot of broken arms, if I could say it that way. So when I walk in, Mama, I broke my arm. They could have got rid of me. They could have lectured me. They could have said, young man, you should not have been jumping out of the trees, which would have been the truth. But at the time, I did not need a lecture from my parents, even though I promise you later on we had a come to Jesus meeting. But I did not need that while I was in pain. I did not need that while I was hurting. You see, there's several things that I'll say and I want to spiritualize them in content and that is this. First off, they could have just ignored me. They could have ignored me. They could have said, you, you made this mess by yourself. None of my business. I, I'm just going to stay out of it and ignore their need. Now, I need somebody to listen to me in the church today. We have spent a lot of times ignoring the needs of other people. And I want you to understand. See, we use this term. We'll say, well, 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 well I'm just going to not do that because that's none of my business, right? I'm going to stay out of it. Now, I need somebody to listen to me very good if you don't get anything outside this sermon today. There is a huge difference in being a busybody and being a burden bearer. Oh, God. There is a huge difference in being the busybody that wants to get into everybody's business and the person that comes to you when you are hurting and alone and fearful and they say, I want to help you carry this burden. I'm glad mama didn't just say it's your problem son. She helped me mend the wounds. She helped me to ease and relieve the pain. Somebody else they could have said, well that's his problem. In other words, if, if, you, if you love them, then can I tell you something today? If you love a person, it becomes your problem when they become broken. Now, now, now watch this really closely. In the story of the Bible where Esau is in the field, you remember the story and Cain. And you remember that Cain kills his brother. When he kills his brother... The first words that God comes down and says to him, he's saying, where's your brother? You know, I, I, I hear his blood. His blood is talking to me, calling to me from the ground. He says, I hear it. I know that you have sinned. Just own up to it. The words that Esau uses, or Cain uses rather, are the words that I'm afraid we use in church also often because it's their problem and not ours. He says the words, am I my brother's keeper? What he is saying in short is, it's his problem, it's not mine. 
God, would you convict me today? Would you convict every heart in this church today that we would not be that way and just say, I see the need. I know my brother is struggling. I know my sister is going through hardship. I know they feel like letting go. But I'm just going to let them mind. I'm going to mind my own business. I'm going to ignore it. I know there's a need, but that's their problem. Let them deal with it. Am I my brother's keeper? To which God gives him the response, Yes, you are. Your brother is your responsibility. Now, this isn't very popular preaching today or teaching today, but, you know, my mother could have looked at me. She could have talked about me. She could have said, Look, this boy's got a broken arm. Just look at him. She could have ran me down. She could have talked to her friends about me, talked about how horrible of a son I am, how crazy I am, how pathetic I am. I guess we could call that, that word, word gossip, I guess, when you just run him down before really knowing the whole story. And see, I've been victim to this, or, or prey to this, rather, and I, I have done it myself to where, to where I prejudge and I gossip and, I, and I'm talking about somebody before I really know What's going on? Anybody can say amen to that because you know you have too, right? Is the preacher the only guilty party in the house today? Because you didn't know the whole story. You knew they were broken. You saw something was going on. You blamed it on them. And then you decided you were going to talk about them rather than restore them. I'm telling you, God, help us today. Help us today. My mom and dad could have disowned me. They could have said, because this boy has got a broken arm, we're sending him down the road. We're going to put him in the foster care. We're, gonna, we're just going to adopt this boy out. They could have amputated my arm, right? Thank God they didn't. They could have said, it's broken. Just get rid of it. My God, I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you, listen to me, folks. There is no place, no place in the church where we tell broken people that they do not belong in this house. There is no place in our hearts that the love of God is living inside of us. That broken people walk through our doors and we look at them and say, You cannot be in our clique. You cannot get in our loop. You cannot come to our church. You're not the type of person that we want to deal with. I've pastored drug heads. It's the most aggravating thing in the world you'll ever do. They come to church. They pray at an altar. They get their life right. Some of them will go weeks, even months, in remission. Not doing any type of drugs, meth, any of those drugs. Some hard drugs there, but just stop it. Give their life to Christ. Get committed. They're in church every week. Before you know it, they're helping out in the church. They're volunteering. I mean, they really seem to be sold out. And then the next thing you know, you get a phone call one day. And they're saying, oh God, I've made a mistake. I've been laying in the bathroom floor for three 
days on a high. We have not moved. We've been in there for three days just laying in the floor. And you're trying at that moment to have pity and compassion and empathy. When inside you're wanting to say, would you quit calling me? Because I'm tired of hearing your excuses. But when the love of God is inside of us. When we are this person that sees the broken arm. Or we see the brokenness. We are with the love of God. We tell these people, you know what? Just get up off the floor. Come on down. Let's have another prayer together. Let God deliver. Let's speak the name of Jesus together. Let those strongholds be broken. Let every addiction be broken in the name of Jesus. Come on. We're going to restore you. I know you're broken, but God is going to mend you. What has happened to the church? What has happened to us Christians? What have we become that we think that all we have to worry about is our four and no more? When God is saying, my Lord, there is a broken town around you. There is a broken city around you. There are people that need your church more now than they've ever needed it before. Where's the church? Where is restoration? Where is the mending that has been the damage that has been done. Where, how do we mend that? See, the beautiful thing about my story is that even if I fall and my arm is broken, it is not irreparable damage. Because the arm is only temporarily disabled. Am I not right? Over time, with therapy, with healing, over time, my arm... It's going to be like new again. My arm is going to work again. I'm going to bend it again. I'm going to be able to play baseball again. I'm going to be able to shoot a basketball again. Because this arm is only temporarily disabled. I need somebody to understand. What sin cannot be forgiven? Right? Is, is, it, is it the meth addict? I mean, is that the drug? I mean, what? I mean, name the worst one you want to name. I mean, what sin can't the name of Jesus cleanse all of their sins? See, you think about it, and there's some of you here that the first thing you think about is, well, the Bible says that the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is the only unforgivable sin. So you get your study book down, and you start studying. You get on Google, and you Google, and you're saying, what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Ghost, right? And see, this is the thing. When you put it in the content, now I'm just going to go down this rabbit trail because I, I need to. But when you put it in the content, when Jesus made that statement, who was he talking to? He was talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, who have watched him perform miracle after miracle after miracle. Did they believe? Of course not. What was the blasphemy against the Spirit? Because Jesus was doing these things in what? In the Spirit. It is the Spirit that gives Him the ability to do these things. So they look at Him and this is what blasphemy is. We'll never see it again in this, on this earth because Jesus isn't here in a physical body. But this is what happens. He is doing these things through the Spirit. And they looked at him and said, He is possessed by the devil. He is doing these things by Beelzebub. 
They did not recognize or would not accept the fact that what he was doing was in the name and the power of the Holy Spirit. Instead, they said what he is doing is in the power of the devil. That was their blasphemy. What is blasphemy today? Blasphemy today is until death. What does that mean? That simply means that a person can reject Jesus Christ. They can say no to Jesus Christ. But the good news about grace that the law could not give us is that until that person takes that last breath and leaves this life, there is hope for his or her soul. Somebody ought to say amen. So don't you count out a broken brother or sister and say they're too broken, they can't be fixed. I'm telling you today, Jesus Christ has the power to fix it for them, to change them, to bring them back to restoration with Him. He can do it. If you believe that, shout amen. amen. So I, 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 I'm telling you, I, oh God have mercy. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. So even after all these years of being broken, now you're able to use your mended arm again. And that is exactly what God wants to do for our broken brothers and our broken sisters. I've had people that I have pastored, friends of mine that have fallen prey to sin, that I have used in the pulpit after they repented and came to restoration. And it's amazing that when I talked to them on the phone, the one thing that they told me was that they appreciated me being a friend to them. Because all the people that they thought, are you ready for this? All the people that they thought was their friends, when they failed God and they fell and they fell low, they left them high and dry. They didn't call them anymore. They didn't check on them anymore. They did not try to restore them. I'm talking us church of God preachers. I'm talking those that are in the clique. I'm talking about those that know what's going on. And they walked away and left that individual broken and sitting there just lame on the side of the street. Just feeling like he has no reason to go on. That is why God said when they feel that way, I've got to have somebody in the church. Somebody that is spiritual to go to them and help them through it. See, Paul is talking to the brother or the sister. We're not talking about sinners today, folks, that have never known God. We're talking about saved people can fall. We're talking about Moses murdered a man. We're talking about Peter had a potty mouth. They always say sailors, you know, you cuss like a sailor. Well, he was a fisherman, and it came out of him. Peter started cussing, swearing that he didn't know God. You remember the denial story. David killed a man. David committed adultery with a lady by the name of Bathsheba. Had a child that should not have been born. Therefore the child died. Mark, John Mark was a cowardly man who ran from the ministry. The apostle Paul got so mad with him. He's like just forget about it. Can't work with you anymore. I'm telling you restoration. Restoration is second only to soul winning. The most important thing that we can do is when somebody that has never known Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
The most important job that we have as Christians is the Great Commission. Go into all the world and find that which is lost. And you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And you can tell them they can be my disciples because of the power of the Spirit. So God tells us our most important job is to go out there and to find the lost. But however, restoration of those that have sat on our pews, that have come to our churches and have left broken, it is secondly the most important thing that we can ever do as a church. Who is the person that brings them the restoration? Is it the pastor? Well, of course the pastor could bring someone to restoration. But it's not only to the pastor to bring restoration. It is the flock that restores brothers and sisters. For in my text, the Bible said, you which are spiritual... That means to everybody that is spirit-filled. To everybody that knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they're full of the Spirit. He says to you. You are the one that restores. Listen to me. Can I just say it this way? If you don't believe in restoration. Then you are not spiritual. Can I say it that way? Is that simple enough? If you do not believe in the ministry of restoring a brother or sister that has fallen to Jesus Christ, then you are not a spiritual person. Because spiritual people want to be a part of the ministry of restoration. Oh, God. So I got two more points. I got to hurry. And then I want you to see the manner of restoration. In other words, how do I do it? Has anybody ever had tough love? You do it firmly, but yet you do it gently. He said, you restore such a brother in the spirit of gentleness. It was said in a story that there's this young teenage girl that was unwed. That she had gotten pregnant. And when asked, why don't you go to church in her hometown? Her words were, the church is the last place that I'd go. Why do people feel that way? Because she felt like if she went there, that instead of taking her in and loving her and restoring her to a right relationship with God because she had fallen and done something that everybody thought and said, that's a no-no. Instead of restoring her, she was afraid that people would hurt her. And that people would look down at her. And people would hold their nose up in the air as if they're holier than thou and they're better than she is. And because of that, she said, it's the last place I want to go. But I'm telling you, it should be the first place that she wants to go. It should be the first doors that she darts into. We have lost gentleness. God help us. Have you ever went to your mailbox and when you got to the mailbox... There's this little box, or either maybe UPS brought it. And on the outside, it has the words fragile written on it. Has anybody ever seen that before? Fragile. Fragile. I say fragile, fragile, however you want to say it. What fragile means is simply this. That there is something on the inside of this box that can be easily broken. And I'm telling you, there are some people in our churches... There are some people that are going to come to our church that if they could have it written on their lives, we would see fragile written all over them. All it takes is one word that's a little too harsh and they're going to break. 
Because they've been through so much and they've suffered so much pain and, and they've been talked down and looked down on and so much that if we treat them too harshly, they're going to break. And so I think sometimes that God needs to help us to understand that there's some fragile people we have to be careful with. He says, so you do it humbly. Humbly. Don't go with arrogance. Look who I am. Look who you are. I'm better than you. He said, consider yourself lest you also be tempted. First Corinthians 10, 12, one of my scriptures I always remind myself of. Therefore, let him who thinks that he stands take heed lest he that means that if I get too holy and think that I'm too good to fail, put an X on me because I am going to fall. Because when you get haughty and arrogant in your spirit, God says, I'm going to cut that out from under you. There are three persons sitting in your seat. It is the person that you are right now today. It is the person that God wants to make you for the good of the world. And then it's the broken person. That you could be. And I think so often that's the person that we forget about. It's the person we could have been. See, see, see. Oh, God. Whatever John Bradford, who, who is a great preacher in the old days. John Bradford is standing here. There's a man that is going to execution. And when he sees the man going to execution, these are the words that he said to the person sitting beside him. He said, take away the grace of God. And there goes John Bradford. If not for the grace of God. See, there's some of you in here today. I need you to remember not the person you are. Not the person you're going to be. I need somebody to get some empathy. And think about the person you could have been. If it had not been for the grace of Almighty God. I, 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 was, <laughs> I was talking to somebody the other day. And there was this person that they really, that they've had bad raising. And I was, my words to them was this. You know, some kids, they don't even have a chance. They don't have a chance. At 18 years old, they're killing people and they're going to prison for the rest of their life. 18 years old. They don't have a fighting chance. You go to their house and when you go to their house, it's filth. When you go to their house, there's a drunk mama, a drunk daddy. There's drugs laying around. They don't have a fighting chance. But thank God that there's some success stories. That a man or a woman of God found one of those children. And they loved them to Jesus Christ. And even though they came up in a bad raising, and even though their home wasn't worth two cents, and everybody would have counted them out, and everybody would have thought that they'd end up in jail, but because somebody that was spiritual went and found them and put them under their wing, today they're doing a the work for the Lord. Today they've made something of their self, went to college, got an education, got a good job. It was all because someone humbly walked up to them and said, My God, let me help you. You're broken, but God can mend you. Oh, Jesus. We do it sympathetically. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill, Galatians 6, 2, the law of Christ. Galatians 6, 5, for each one shall bear his own load or his own burden. There are some burdens that no one can bear for you. These include salvation. I can't make people get saved if I could. I would be walking around talking about, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved. 
I cannot do that for them. It's love for God. If I could make everybody in this room be as passionate as they've ever been before about Jesus Christ, I would go ahead and I'd lay hands on everybody. And I'd be like, today's a new day. You're going to be the best person you've ever been. You're going to be more spiritual than you've ever been. But there's some burdens that I can't bear. They have to bear. It is a lot of things like that. I won't go into all these. Proxy religion does not work. Proxy is a person that is authorized to do something for you, a POA. God says you can't do that. But there are some things Galatians 6.2 teaches us we can bear one another's burdens. This refers to things that, that you cannot carry alone. And you need somebody to help you. This is oppressive weights that are on you that your brother or sister could help bear the load. It is fear. It is the elder that is going into the house alone. And you say, honey, guess what? Let me meet you there and I'm going to walk you in the house. You're not alone. There's somebody that is with you. It is to the person that has depression. And they sit at home and they trip and they cry and they don't know what to do when you bear their burdens it is when you go and you say let's talk about this if you ever get too burdened or too oppressed or depressed or getting down on yourself I want you to pick up the phone here goes my number I want you to call and we're going to talk through this thing together that is bearing one another's burden there's some things that we can help carry and we should help carry I'll leave you with this the motive of restoration This is the why do I do it. A lot of people want the why to everything, right? Why do I do this? You do it to fulfill the law of Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.14 For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love. Somebody say love. One word. One word. Everything is fulfilled. Love your neighbor as yourself. When Moses went to the mountain... God gave him how many commandments? He gave him ten commandments to bring down for God's people. The law of Jesus has one command. Galatians 5.15 He says, but if you'd bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by another. He says, I don't need you biting and bickering. I don't need you fighting with one another. He said, all I need you to do is love. If you can get that down pat in your Christian life, if we can just make that our culture as a church, to the first word that we think of when it comes to broken people is love. When it comes to people that we don't think belong around our people, love. When it comes to people that we've helped more than one time over and over and they just can't seem to change. Anybody getting this? Love, love, love. Ephesians 4, 13. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgive one another, just as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. We are members of one another. When one suffers, our mentality as a church body should be everyone suffers. If Brian is in pain, should I be in pain? Come on, somebody. Restoration. Whatever happened to TLC, tender love and care, we give it to our houses, we give it to our dogs, we give it to our chickens these days. But we failed to give it to people like we should. Why is that? Why is it? Why is it that we as a church get more, 
we get more empathy and more wound up about a dog that is abused. And I'm an animal lover. I promise you from the head to my foot, I love my dog to death. She goes everywhere with me. Rides to school every morning, take her back home, love her to death. I am for animal rights. I'm for them being treated right. I hate it when people do that. So don't misunderstand anything I'm saying. Why is it that we get more sympathy and empathy for a dog that is left in a room and found starving to death and in poor conditions than we do the girl that just went down to the abortion clinic and had an abortion? Oh, God, help me. Restoration, restoration, restoration. God, help me. Why do we do it? Because Jesus tells us to. Spurgeon said, go to the pen. I'm closing. A sinner can once again be used of God when his repentance becomes more notorious than his sin. Did you get that? David was great at sinning. <laughs> when you read the story of David, he had Uriah killed, right? He puts him on the front of the battle line. Uriah dies that day. All because of King David. It's on his shoulders. Uriah is a good man. He's a good warrior. But he has not been trained to be a frontline guy. David knew that. He goes behind. He comes from behind. But that day David sent the letter and says, Hey, I want you to put this guy right there on the front line. Well, he's not trained. The king said, Do it. Put him up there. He kills the man. He commits adultery with his wife. I mean, man, you talk about low. That's a low store. What a dirty dog. I mean, who does that? David. And we would have thought, he's notorious for his sins. He's notorious for his failures. But David was more notorious for his repentance. Because it didn't matter how low he sank. He always looked back up to God and said, my heart is wrong. Before thee, and thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight. Would you forgive me? Would you? My heart, it's my heart, Lord. I love you. I want to serve you. But my heart, if you could just take out my heart and, and put a new heart in me. If you could just take this bad attitude, this spirit I've got of rebellion. If you could put a right spirit in me, I'll do better. And what do we know David for? Is it only for his sin? No. We know him that God said, even after he had sinned me, God said, David is going to be the next king because David is a man after my own heart. He was not afraid to be restored to God. Listen, this is very important. Never mistake the moment for a man. Never do that. Don't allow one incident that somebody does to destroy a lifetime of good. Don't allow Moses killing an Egyptian to disqualify him from coming back and leading God's people because if you do that, Israel stays in Egypt. Don't judge David for this one time because he goes on to be the greatest king they've ever known. Don't judge Peter because he lies and he, and, and he cusses and he's got a potty mouth but he repents and says God forgive me because if we give up on Peter we don't have Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost there comes a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind and we don't have 8,000 people getting saved if we give up on Peter. 
think of a Jimmy Swagger of our day, a minister that had failed. Some people today won't even listen to him because of what he, y'all with me? What he did. Some have given up, but he repented. Finally, remember that a broken brother is like a broken net. And the thing that is bothering me is the hole in the net is the broken brother. And I'm sitting here thinking, because I'm a fisherman, how many fish have been lost because of tattered nets that we've allowed to fall through instead of just mending and restoring? We have an obligation, folks. Let's all stand. I'm closing. We have an obligation to restore the perishing, care for the dying. So as you've listened to this message today, it is my prayer that the Lord has put someone on your heart that you know today that maybe they used to be a member of this church. Maybe another church. It don't have to be our church. And you know that the reason they left, you know the background story. It's because they left, and when they left, they left broken. And nobody went to restore them. We just gave up on them. I'm asking the Holy Spirit right now to not let us sleep, don't let us rest until we begin the process of bending, the process of restoration, the process of bringing that brother or that sister back to you. Father, today in this house, forgive us for our sins. Because often in our quest of breaking other people because of their sins, we overlook the fact that we've got our own issues. We've got our own problems we need to deal with. And one of those is restoration. It's a ministry. It's a ministry of every believer. It's the ministry of the church. It doesn't have to have a special title. It doesn't have to have a special group of people that's over the ministry. All it needs is someone that is spiritual. Someone that loves Jesus with all their heart. And someone that loves their brother as their self. And they will go to them. And they will restore them. And even though others have walked away from them, even though others have left them, we refuse to give up on them. We refuse to. Give us the willpower right now to say, God, I am not giving up on that person until they pray through. I am not giving up on that person until I see their broken selves walk into the house of God and watch God, who's the master potter, take that broken clay and mold it and mend it into a vessel that's beautiful. And the whole time, I'm going to sit there knowing that I helped make that happen. I helped make that happen. Help us to do this for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Everybody shouted, Amen. May be seated. You can quit it there. I want to. I want us to do our drawing really quick. Um, how many of you are excited, man? How, 